Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Good to have everybody in here. I'm excited. Um, I know we got waffles, but also about breaking the bread of life together. Um, and I'm hoping I can just kind of be a good host as we dive into the word together. Um, so the uh, overall topic that we've been kind of discussing in this breakout is um, biblical answers to biblical problems. And um, there's a problem presented in Scripture, you know, kind of right in the very beginning pages in Genesis, um, where um, God makes a garden and we're um, cast out from it. We're exiled from it. And so um, we're going to explore uh, the, you know, the biblical problem of getting back to the garden, talking about um, answers for that. And um, to start out here, I just want to open with a quote just to kind of set the um, kind of set the mood and maybe uh, keep, help you keep your mind on this kind of as we're, we're diving in. Um, and so uh, Charles Dickens um, wrote, No one is useless in this world who lightens the burden of another. Um, and yeah, just keep that in mind as we're diving in here. Um, so talking about uh, the garden, um, we go right, right to the beginning pages of Genesis. And in the beginning, God brought order um, from nothingness. Uh, but when he created the land, the land was wilderness. Um, and it says that uh, from that wilderness, from that dust uh, of the earth, he created you and me. Um, and then he made a garden um, in the east. He made a, the Garden of Eden. And uh, Genesis chapter 2 uh, describes it. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we were tasked with cultivating life, filling the earth with more of God's goodness, and we were on our way to doing it together. We were like children, naked and unashamed. We trusted one another completely. There was no fear of rejection or walls up to protect me from being hurt by you or to protect you from being hurt by me. And even better, the tree of life was in the middle of the garden. And we could eat freely from the tree of life forever and ever. This truly was heaven on earth. It was the garden. Now, God warned us that there's one thing that could derail all of this. Eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. See, God was our father, and he was ready to teach us right from wrong as we carried out our task. But he knew if we rejected his guidance and lived by a definition of right and wrong of our own choosing, the garden would no longer be the garden. And as all of you know, we did choose the path to pain and misery and death. Despite all we had been given and God's warning, we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 3 says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. 
So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. The garden is a sacred place. Life in the garden is meant to be forever, and God is uh, committed to that life being good. Rather than give up on the garden and let it become a place of hurt and oppression, God made the painful choice to send you and me out from it. While we were in this broken state, he would station his cherubim to guard the eastern entrance to the garden. But God never intended to send us away forever. With compassion, he sacrificed to cover what we were ashamed of and sent us out to the east. And he reaffirmed our purpose when he did this. We were still tasked with cultivating life. It was still the the same task. Um, We were just going to be doing it in different conditions now. He was still committed to working with me and you to fill the earth with more of his goodness. But we had some things to learn before we were ready for the garden. So here we are, living in exile from the garden. Our task is the same, but the conditions are far worse. This is the wilderness, and the ideals of the garden seem so distant now. So what are we doing out here? If God really wants us back in the garden, how in the world do we get back there? So now we're going to dive into what the Bible says about an answer um, for getting back to the garden. And to kind of start with that, um, I want to ask, you know, I think we can start with the question of what keeps us out of the garden. Um, The Bible quickly shows us that the problem keeping us out of the garden can't simply be defined as Eve literally eating a forbidden piece of fruit. In Genesis chapter 4, Um, We read about kind of the first things that happen after Adam and Eve were out of the garden. Um, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. So Cain and Abel both made their offerings. And God didn't give Cain, uh, you know, apparently didn't give Cain or us any reason for why he didn't favor Cain's offering. And, you know, every time I read this in, in the Bible, um, you know, kind of the experience I go through is I just start thinking, hey, God, that's not fair. <laughs> that doesn't seem right. Um, what was wrong with Cain's offering? Um, and apparently that's exactly what Cain started thinking as well. Um, Jealousy started whispering in his ear, telling him that Abel's offering was really no better. He knew his brother better than God knew him after all, and he knew he wasn't all that God thought him to be. Just like in the garden, God came like a father to Cain to help him move past his jealousy. He warned Cain that it would eat him up if he didn't get it under control. But Cain blocked out God's voice and opened himself up to the voice of jealousy instead. And ultimately, Cain hated his brother so much that he killed him. This clearly is not the naked and unashamed 
trust that we had in the garden. You know, this is sin. And we can't go back to the garden if we're controlled by that beast. So how can we be saved from our own sin? If the problem is us, you know, and this sin inside us, how can we be saved from our own sin? Um, the, the good news is that the Bible has a lot to say about that. And really, um, after you get past uh, about Genesis chapter tw- um, 12, everything in the rest of the Old Testament uh, is pretty much answering that question. And um, I'm going to, you know, attempt to somehow summarize that, which always seems like a bad idea, right? It took God, uh, you know, all these books, and I'm just going to try to, you know, put a um, nice bow on it. But with God's help, I'll be able to communicate something that, um, you know, might resonate with you. Good thing is you guys read the Bible, so I don't have to say it all. Um, So after Cain murders Abel, uh, things continue to go downhill. Instead of filling the earth with God's goodness, humans fill the earth with oppression and violence. In Genesis chapter 11, humans unite to build their own space where heaven and earth can overlap, a place where God and his wisdom are not wanted or welcome. This is the Tower of Babel. It's kind of positioned in Scripture like a counterfeit garden. God scatters the united rebels into separate nations, Um, You know, clearly these nations are controlled by sin, but apparently God has a plan to rescue them. So he reaches out and calls one man named Abraham to follow him instead of the wisdom of the nations. In Genesis 12, we can read about Abraham's call. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So already we kind of start to get these little ideas that, uh, you know, hey, we're going back, we're we're going to a land with God. Um, We're kind of getting hints that maybe we're, we're heading on our way back to the garden, Um, and you know, it sounds like we're going to be cultivating God's goodness on earth. We're going to be a blessing to all the other nations. Um, you know, God told Abraham and the nation that comes from him, uh, that, um, somehow they're going to be, you know, a blessing to all these other rebellious nations. And at this point, you might kind of have a few question marks about God's plan. Um, you know, one, um, kind of peace here is that God just scattered, you know, a major rebellion from all these other nations um, that really tried to make a counterfeit garden without God anywhere near it. So those nations obviously don't want anything to do with God. They hate God's guts, and I bet they're going to hate um, God's chosen nation's guts as well. And, uh, you know, we know what humans are like. They oppress one another when they don't like how things are going. But God makes it clear to Abraham that God will bring justice to anyone who oppresses his people. And in like manner, he will bring blessing to anyone who blesses his people. Abraham doesn't need to take justice into his own hands. And the truth is, we know at this point in the story that human wisdom does not result in true justice. We need God's guidance on that. 
In fact, we can summarize the effects of sin on humans with just two ideas. Sin causes people to oppress one another, causes people to oppress one another, uh, and causes people to be oppressed, to be victims of that oppression. And so to get back to the garden, God's going to have to restore us from the oppression we've endured and from the oppression that we've dealt out to those around us. And so here we are, Abraham's people, the nation of Israel, and we're on our way back to the garden, and somehow we're bringing those other rebel nations with us. If you've spent any time, you know, in the Old Testament scriptures, um, you might be thinking that God's plan had a few holes in it, uh, namely the part where people like you and me are supposed to make things better instead of making them worse. Um, if you read the Old Testament, you know very well that that's not how things go. Um, and, um, you know, really this starts, Abraham's called in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Um, we, we only make it to Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, seven verses later, uh, before Abraham starts bringing pain and turmoil to the nations around him, actually. Um, and, um, you know, it, it can look from the very beginning like a lost cause. And that's certainly the mindset that the nation of Israel got into after they had failed to listen to God's voice time and time again. And uh, eventually, as you just go through this cycle over and over again, as these people fail to learn to listen to God's voice, um, we get to a place where this nation finds themselves ransacked and captured by Babylon, uh, which is that that same wicked congregation that God scattered and pulled Abraham out of in the first place. So that kind of leads us to, um, to, to a key question here. How will we ever get back to the garden if we just land ourselves in Babylon over and over again with every step we take? And this really is the question that hangs over the people of Israel uh, whenever we turn to the Gospels and we first meet Jesus. Um, it seems like Jesus is on a mission to answer that question. Um, and in the book of Matthew, we're going to read several scriptures just to hear what Jesus has to say about getting back to the garden. Um, in the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven um, to refer to kind of this heaven and earth space where um, the, that same space that Genesis calls the garden. And um, just to drive the point home here, anytime it says kingdom of heaven or heaven, I'm just going to substitute garden. Um, just to get that idea in your mind. So um, in Matthew chapter 4, um, we kind of read about Jesus beginning his ministry. It says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the garden is at hand. In Matthew chapter 5, um, in the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus describes um, some of the people who are going to inherit or, or be a part of the garden. He says, Blessed Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the garden. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the garden. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in the garden is great. For in this same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in the garden. In Matthew chapter 18, um, it says that at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the garden? And he called a child to himself and set him among them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the garden. So whoever will humble himself like this child, he is the greatest in the garden. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung about his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. And then in Matthew chapter 25, um, Jesus speaks to his followers about um, the coming judgment and you know, really drives it home. He says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the garden prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me either. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So, um, you know, Jesus had... And this is just a small subset. You know, you can just go through the Gospels, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. You know, he's talking about getting back to the garden, to that place um, where we were in the beginning, to the way it was meant to be. And um, so much of that, so much of that is about how, you know, I treat you and about how you treat me and about how I respond to the way that you treat me. 
Um, and, um, you know, he, Jesus said that we had to become innocent once again, like the children that we were, humble and trusting him as our father. And, you know, as you know, if you've read the Gospels or just been in probably America uh, in the last, you know, long time, um, you know what happens next. The people of Israel and the nations conspire together to get rid of Jesus and to bring back Babylon. They chose to crucify Jesus. Um, and, you know, thinking about this, you've got to think, this, this has got to be the end of the line for God's plan. I mean, if he comes himself and he shows these people compassion and selfless love, uh, you know, and then in return, we murder him. But actually, that's not the end of the line. That's not where the story ends. And so we can look at how Jesus responded to this. Um, in Luke chapter 23, um, we can read about his crucifixion. It says, And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So, you know, we hated Jesus, and he showed mercy and love to us in return, even while he's hanging on the cross. He's interceding on behalf of the people, saying, God, they don't mean this. They, you know, they, they don't mean what they're doing to me right now. Um, and, uh, you know, aren't you thankful that Jesus treats us that way? I know I, I have needed an intercessor, and there have been times where I have, you know, been wrong toward my brother or wrong toward um, God himself. And I'm thankful that instead of condemning me, Jesus is you know, pleading on my behalf, God, he doesn't mean this right now. This isn't who he's, uh, who he's destined to be. He can change. He can be redeemed. Um, and so, um, you know, Jesus was willing to die at the hands of his own people before he would give in to those whispers of bitterness and hatred. He wasn't going to respond back. He was so committed to a relationship with us that when we murdered him, he still wouldn't give up on it. Um, and as he breathed his last breath, the veil to the temple was torn in two. So does anyone in, in here know what was embroidered on the, the veil of the temple? This is the, the curtain that's separating the most holy, you know, the holy of holies from the rest of the temple. On that curtain, they embroidered cherubim. Um, you know, and so just like those cherubim that were guarding the way back to the garden. Um, and, and, you know, when Jesus breathed his last breath and that veil was torn... Jesus, a human, just like you and me, got back into the garden. Um, all of a sudden, the, the, the storyline starts to change. And um, when Jesus was resurrected three days later, he told his people that it was time to, to go back to that plan that all started with Abraham, and it was time to fulfill that. In Matthew chapter 28, it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, so the Apostle Peter elaborates you know, more on kind of what all of this means in um, the book of First Peter. And, um, you know, it, the, the book is not long, and I would just encourage everyone in here, um, you know, find some time just to read it in, in its entirety, uh, you know, because in light of just thinking about us being exiles from the garden, uh, you know, Peter is talking, he, you know, he's addressing his letter to what he calls the, you know, the exiles and the sojourners, um, you know, of, of the dispersion, you know, these people who were persecuted, um, they, they were believers, but they were persecuted and they were spread out into all these other nations. And he's writing this letter to them um, and just reminding them of how to live as in exile from the garden. You know, Jesus opened the, the veil for us, um, but kind of as you'll see from some of Peter's thoughts and some, maybe some of um, Jesus's thoughts, um, this is a process of getting back to the garden. And um, in First Peter chapter 1, Peter says, Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. For you, have, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. So Peter says that, when we're born again through the Spirit, a garden seed was planted in us, and it's growing. Um, and this reminds me of something that Jesus said. In Matthew 13, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven, or the garden, is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. You know, it's a small seed that um, God plants in us, but it's growing. And as it grows in me and in you and in you, um, before we know it, we're going to be back in the garden. Um, with that seed inside of us, God's spirit, we can truly learn to love one another and um, to, to live in relationship with one another and with God the way he intended it. You know, outside of the garden, life is harsh and it's full of hurt people hurting people. Um, you know, this, it's not something I necessarily need to elaborate on, but, you know, you can turn on the news or scroll through social media, and um, it's clear we're not in the garden. We're not in the garden here. Um, and, you know, just to, to kind of uh, bring this um, to, to a personal place, you know, I can remember growing up and... Um, I can remember a time where I was doing something that I shouldn't have been doing, and um, I was ashamed. Um, and, you know, my dad reached out to me, and he, he just kind of asked if I was okay. And I just remember shutting him down. You know, I didn't want him to have any part of, um, you know, just kind of what was going on in my life. And, um, you know, I remember after acting that way, I felt so alone and, and sorry after responding that way, you know, this guy was, was, my dad was trying to care for me, and I just shut him out. Um, it also makes me think of another time um, where my best friend growing up, um, I, we were pay, playing with um, paper airplanes, and mine was no good, and his was really good, 
And, um, and I just got so jealous that like his plane was so good. And so at one point I, you know, I took it from him, which, you know, could have just been childhood fun, boys being boys, but, but he wanted it back and he asked for it back. And I just dug in my heels and I wouldn't give it back. And he kept asking for it back. And I just told him, no, you know, I'm not giving it back. And he was so hurt by this. Um, and I, I remember just watching tears just come into his eyes and me feeling horrible, but I was just committed that I wasn't going to give this thing back. Um, and, and, you know, after that, I just remember, even as a young boy, just being so hurt by this, um, by the, the way that I treated my friend. Um, and that's, that's life outside of the garden. You know, you've probably got um, plenty of your own examples of either ways you've been treated wrongly by someone or ways that you've responded um, how you shouldn't have. And, um, you know, the, the beautiful thing is, is that tonight, if we look around us and, you know, kind of as we're out there um, singing and we're in this, uh, you know, circle, maybe it's a little different, could be awkward. It's, sometimes it's awkward for me. You're like locking eyes with the people across the aisle, which isn't normal because normally we're all just looking at the screen. But, um, but it does give us a chance to, you know, to just see, hey, we're all here together, worshiping together, and uh, we're all singing the same song. And, um, you know, it, it, it just gives me hope that, um, and, and makes me think about being in the garden, you know, being in that place where we're naked and unashamed and, and we don't have walls up between each other and we, you know, we care for each other um, and we're genuinely interested in, in getting involved in each other's lives. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like I experience a taste of the garden here with all of you, and I'm thankful. Um, I'm thankful that all of you are committed to, you know, not to identifying problems in one another or problems in the way that we, we do things here at the church or that, you know, somebody handles something here at the church, but committed to finding um, you know, solutions to the common problems we all have and working together and looking for the best in one another and encouraging one another. Um, there, there really is no place like that um, in the world. I mean, the, the best, you know, it, I think business organizations and things like that, they, they want this, because they want this, these good relationships, you know, for, um, for the sake of being able to accomplish their goals. But it's not easy when you, you haven't heard from Jesus and you haven't watched him there on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they, they know it not what they're doing, um, whenever you were the one, um, you, you know, instigating that. Um, and so this is such a special place, and um, I, I'm so thankful for the relationships that I have here. And, um, you know, I, I just encourage you, if you're, if you're not well-connected or well-plugged in, um, dig in more. You know, this is, um, this is the... the you know, we're on our way to the garden. We're on our way back to the garden. It's growing in each of us. And, um, you know, this is God's plan. And, and I'll also just say that he's patient. If, if, you've, if you've read the Bible, then you cannot say that God is not patient because this plan to teach us how to love one another, um, to teach us how to live and listen to his voice, it's been going on for millennia. But he hasn't given up on us. And it's, it's gone poorly time and time again, but he hasn't given up. And um, so don't ever count yourself out. 
Um, he is patient and he cares and he wants you uh, to be in the garden. Um, you know, and I'll also just encourage you, so many of you do such a great job at this, but don't be afraid of getting involved in someone else's life. Um, you know, there, what, prob, you might, if you have gotten involved in someone else's life, trying to help somebody out who, you know, they've got a messy life and, and they need some help or whatever, um, you might have, thought, have second thoughts about doing it again, you know, because um, anyone who's done that just knows there are times where you're, you're going through and you're trying to encourage these people, you're trying to, you know, grab them by the hand and walk with them, and um, there are times where it just feels hopeless with some people, you know, but let's remember how far Jesus went for us, you know, he went to the point of giving his life, and, um, and, and, you know, the beautiful thing is that even after we murdered him, uh, when he was resurrected, he was still preaching the same message, that we're the light of the world, you and me, the same people that were, were crucifying him, um, we're the light of the world, and that we can bring God's love to this world. Um, and so, um, you know, with that, um, I'm, I just want to reiterate that I'm so thankful that here at the Life Church, um, we're getting back to the garden together, and, you know, that we're bringing our friends and our families and our communities um, and, and all the nations with us. You know, uh, God truly uh, believes that we're going to be a part of the solution to all of this, um, to getting back to the garden. And so um, let's take him at his word. It can be hard to believe at times, but um, he knows what he's doing. And I believe that uh, he's working in us. That's all I have for tonight. Thank you guys very much. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.